And Jehoshaphat recognizes the name, and the testimony of Elisha is strong, and the response comes. If you look down there at the beginning of verse 12, Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. And so, these three kings, and you'll see the, 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 the bind therein. You will see that they are driven to visit Elisha. They go down to him, and they put the issue before them. And the result is that Elisha intercedes. He gets a word from the Lord. They are commanded to dig ditches right there in the midst of the dusty, dry valley. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and I trust the Lord will draw near, bless you through His Word today. We're returning to 2 Kings and the ministry of Elisha the prophet. And here we have these words. The Lord said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain, Yet that valley shall be filled with water, that ye may drink both ye and your cattle and your beasts. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. And ye shall smite every fenced city and every choice city, and shall fell every good tree, and stop all wells of water, and mar every good piece of land with stones." And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered that, behold, there came water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. To the Christian reading this, it sounds like revival. After a time of spiritual drought and barrenness, God is pleased to hear the cry of his people to revive his church and give the Holy Spirit again. These things on the earthly level teach us how to pray for things on the heavenly level. And I invite you to be a prayer warrior, uh, to stand with us here at Let the Bible Speak, and for this country as we witness for our Lord Jesus. Stay tuned with us right through our 30-minute program. At the end, we'll be dealing with mercy for our youth. May the Lord bless you today as we turn to the pulpit of our church to let the Bible speak. Well, we're back to 2 Kings chapter 3 in this whole account of Elisha being sent for by these three kings who have got themselves into a jam. They have taken on something that they did not realize, and they are driven to seek God's help. This week we have a new man in the White House, and the Americans have just had a major handover of power from one uh, regime to another, and now we are waiting to see how the nations of the world are going to respond. The behavior of the other leaders uh, still creates uncertainty. What will Russia do? What will Iran do? What will China do 
in the face of the things that the new government in place has declared that they will stand for and change. Now, I say this tonight not just because there's been an election and there's been now uh, an inauguration of a new president, but I notice here in this chapter, in 2 Kings 3, that there is another handover of power. This young man, Jehoram, is the son of Ahab. And unfortunately, he is no better. He tries to do away with Baal. Nevertheless, he walks in the ways of the sins of Jeroboam, who was the model of evil. And Jeroboam, um, or sorry, Jehoram, who is the son of Ahab, well, he becomes a, a real problem. Now, when he takes the throne, there is the king Moab. And the king of Moab, in the past, paid tribute to Ahab of thousands of sheep and their wool every year. Some kind of an arrangement. You raise the sheep, you hand them over, and we give you the freedoms and the reign of this land and protect you and so on. Well, as soon as Jehoram came to the throne, Moab rebelled. He refused to follow through on that arrangement, and there was war. That drew Jehoshaphat into this unholy alliance. Now, Jehoram was a wicked king. Jehoshaphat was a good king, and he is dragged into this unholy alliance. And so there are now three kings that are allied together against Moab. You have Jehoram. He's the king of Israel, the apostate uh, Israel. You have Jehoshaphat. He's the king of Judah. He was a relatively good king. And then there is Edom, through whose land they intend to travel and invade. And, of course, Jehoshaphat, the good king, he gets sucked into this unholy arrangement. Now, they get themselves into a jam because they head out into the wilderness of Edom. They ask, what way shall we go up? And they immediately answer, Edom. And so they take their armies and they head east, uh, really east of the Dead Sea, and they go out into one of the hottest and most adverse deserts, perhaps in the whole world. If you think of the Dead Sea, and then you go straight east, you have the Transjordan Valley that goes north-south, and into that area, these three kings lead their armies. And it's not long until the cry goes up, there is no water. And they set a compass for seven days. That means they go in all directions for seven days looking for water, and they find none. And with their back to the wall, with their future in great jeopardy, they meet together 
and wonder what to do. If you look at verse 10, you'll see the king of Israel totally despairs, and he cries out, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And there seems to be no way ahead. Now, it was right then that Jehoshaphat speaks up. And Jehoshaphat asked the question, is there not a prophet of the Lord? The reply comes in that there is this man called Elisha. And Jehoshaphat recognizes the name, and the testimony of Elisha is strong, and the response comes. If you look down there at the beginning of verse 12, Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. And so, these three kings, and you'll see the, 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 the bind therein. You will see that they are driven to visit Elisha. They go down to him, and they put the issue before them. And the result is that Elisha intercedes. He gets a word from the Lord. They are commanded to dig ditches right there in the midst of the dusty, dry valley. They are to wait for God to work. And in the morning, when the morning sacrifice is offered, the water fills the trenches. Now, it becomes a double blessing because it's not only the provision of water, but it becomes now the confusion of the enemy because when they see the sun shining on that water, it appears red. They interpret it as blood, and they come to the rash conclusion that these armies have fallen out among themselves. They have done battle, and now we are in for the spoil. And they charged in unprepared for the armies ready for them, and they rout them completely. Now, this is a great story. Makes for great storytelling. But what is it about? What is this message in this whole chapter of God's Word and this amazing account? Well, I see here that the message is that God is for us. God is for us. Here are kings that get themselves into a jam. Here is a good godly king that makes the wrong alliance, and he goes to God's man in trouble. He cries to the Lord, and the Lord delivers in a wonderful and an amazing way. And you and I need to know tonight that God is for us. In all the challenges we face in the work of the gospel, in all the issues of standing up for Christ and His church in these days, God is for us. And our final hymn tonight is going to be, If God be for us, who can be against us? And of course, you have that text right in Romans 8 and verses 31 and 32. You have God for us. And of course, that comes right out of the exposition of the gospel. When you get a sight of Calvary, when you get a sight of the cross, and you begin to recognize that there is God who planned the cross, who punished His Son, 
that he might save his people, we come to the conclusion, truly, God is for us. And so this story tonight is a demonstration that God is for us. I'd like you to see here that the drought demonstrated the king's need of God. Now, that's kings plural. That's all three kings. That is the king of Israel, Jehoram, the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom. They were all in trouble, and they were driven to seek God. And what an turn of events this was, that these, well, two of them at least, one was heathen, the other was totally apostate. Jehoshaphat, he was a compromiser in this situation. But what a turn of events that these three kings come seeking God's man, Elisha, and seek his help that they might be delivered from all their problems. Why didn't they do that before they went off to battle? Why didn't they seek Elisha for his counsel long before they joined up in this unholy alliance? They were blind to their need, but now in trouble, they recognized their need. Now, it demonstrated the folly in choosing Edom as the way to attack Moab. What kind of military leadership was this? They had their three armies. I can't imagine the numbers. I can't imagine the supplies that would be needed. The chapter here talks about cattle that were taken along, and that would be for sacrifices and for food. And the requirement of water in that desert would have been absolutely astronomical. Nobody could have carried enough water to provide the need as they uh, sought to prepare themselves for war in that area. Now, of course, the, the element of surprise against the enemy coming from a direction they would not expect would be very helpful. But when your supply lines are not there, it is total, total folly. And this idea of going up by Edom, it seems to be very ill-advised, and it turned out to be a total disaster. Now, this world is filled with foolish acts when God is neglected. And when men hate the cross and they hate the gospel, the Bible says that they become fools. I want to read to you just a couple of verses in Romans. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. That's the path of man without God. That's the path of confusion and folly that even the modern man, as we speak of him, is on today. The worldly wise man, the one who is the achiever in this world, when it comes to living without God, he lives foolishly. The next verse goes on to say, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now, that certainly was true of Jehoram, Jehoshaphat, and Edom as they took their armies into that wilderness 
to perish for lack of water. Now, spiritual ignorance always leads to greater darkness. And there is no telling of the sin, the depravity, the ungodliness of the unconverted, unregenerate, darkened mind that just go on without God. Now, this demonstrated the futility of their pride in their three-way alliance. There is no safety in numbers when you're without God. Human strength and all the armies in the world are weak when the very basics of life are cut off. And the Bible warns us, cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils. And I'm sure as these kings uh, conferred uh, together, maybe in some tent, and as they looked and charted out their plan, they thought, we've got multitudes of men. We'll wipe out these Moabites in no time. But when they got into that wilderness, their plan just fell apart. Now, it also demonstrated Jehoshaphat's compromise with these ungodly men. You see Jehoshaphat's question in verse 11. He is the one that thought of seeking for a prophet, asking of God. It is Jehoshaphat, because he's the man of prayer. He's the man of faith. He's the man with a godly testimony. And it is he, in this hour of desperation, seeks out a prophet and thereby to Elisha. Now, when it was put to him that, you know, let's go as a united army, in weakness, in compromise, Jehoshaphat made the statement way back up there in verse 7. He said, I will go up. I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. And just like that, the man of God fell into compromise. He made an alliance with an idolater and a wicked king of Israel that was the enemy of the Lord. He made an alliance with Edom, who was a heathen. And here is God's man walking right into a very nasty trap. Let us learn tonight the wisdom of God in warning us not to associate with the ungodly. And when we compromise our stand, our testimony, and we unite with those that do not love the Lord, do not love His Word, and when we unite in their ungodly religious ways, we end up in trouble, as Jehoshaphat did. And so, do not compromise. Do not lower the standard to try and gain the fame of men. So, that's the first point we learn here tonight, that this demonstrates the need of God. And then we go on to learn here that the prophet Elisha demonstrated godly fear. Isn't it an amazing thing that he was besought in the middle of this battle? They were out in their zone of warfare, and they sought a prophet and said, Elisha is here. What? 
in the midst of this ungodly, compromising battle? What's Elisha doing in the midst of all of that? But God provides his prophet, and he provides his answer through him. Now, when they asked, is there a prophet here? Elisha seems to be at the top of the list. He is the one who stands out with a, a testimony. The word of the Lord is with him. And when we see how Elisha handles himself in the interview with the three kings, we begin to realize just the boldness of God's servant. You will see that he was very bold against Ahab in verse 13. Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? If he was dealing with him singly, he wouldn't talk to him at all. He had no interest in helping this wicked king. And so we see that he was very brash with him. And it was the fear of God ruling in the heart of Elisha that gave him no fear of, of, of Jehoram, no fear at all of this ungodly king. Too many around us are filled with the fear of man. They would kowtow with the, the devil's agents and think that they can still serve God. And we need to learn from Elisha here to keep our distance and keep our testimony against those that are ungodly. Now, in verse 15, you will see that Elisha was greatly blessed by the hand of God that was upon him. He gave in to the request, and he spoke up here, bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass, when the minstrel played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. God is for us. And here is a demonstration of the help of God through his servant in a time of desperate need for his people. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak. Stay tuned with us for five minutes of Righteousness Exalteth a Nation. Today we want to talk about mercy for youth of our land. As a pastor, I am very alarmed for the youth of our country who are being destroyed by the drug world. Just today again, I had a father on the phone crying for help to rescue his teenage son from drugs and suicide. As never before, kids from even good and godly homes are being lured into doping. Some dabble in it and learn to hate it, but a great number are falling prey to its destructive powers. The new powerful drugs are fentanyl, which has the power to kill with a little grain-sized powder. Those who sell these drugs are ruthless murderers, for they know only too well they are dealing in death. Deaths have occurred from the very first ingestion of this drug. Even first responders who somehow ingest a little dust from their gloves have needed emergency treatment. Sadly, this is not just happening on the back streets of our cities. It is happening in million-dollar homes and hotel suites. It is killing the rich and successful, as well as the troubled and disadvantaged. There is also an alarming number of people hooked on these drugs through doctors, 
prescription pills given out for pain relief. The stats show that the number of fentanyl prescriptions in our society has climbed steeply. It seems that for years, few doctors realized the high risk of administering such drugs. There is a sinister side to this plague of drugs in our society that has created a culture of death. It is as if all discernment has been taken away. One would think that as soon as the word is out that these powerful drugs are killing thousands upon thousands of people, that the alarm would go off that this stuff is pure poison and to be avoided. But people don't seem to care for their own lives, just as the drug dealers don't care who they kill. How do we explain this dark interest in drugs in what we glean from the Bible? It surely tells us that the Bible is correct, that the heart of man is deceitfully and wicked above all things who can know it. It is a desperately deep sin problem in human nature. The Bible is right that man without God cannot find real satisfaction. The Bible also tells us that Satan is a murderer from the beginning. This state of affairs is ripe for the devil to destroy souls. In John 10, verse 10, the Bible says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and heareth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. In Christ and the gospel rests hope for our nation. We need to repent of the sin of our generation, and turn again unto God. We fear that this may be God's judgment, where he gives people over to the evil of their ways. And it is young people who suffer due to their rebellion to God. To parents, I would say, cling to Christ and to the gospel of the cross. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Redemption and reconciliation to God through the blood of Christ is still the power of God. God still saves and saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. It is time for God's people to awaken to the death throes within our society and turn back to God for mercy and deliverance for the rising generation that know not the Lord. It is time to pray for God to make the gospel great again, to turn his people to walk again in the paths of righteousness. For righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs fourteen twenty four. Christ is our righteousness. He is our Savior from sin. He saves from its guilt, its power, and one day from its presence. Trust Him to save your soul from your sin. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to 
tbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.